Amen. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 135. And we'll read together verses 5, 6, and 7. Psalm 135, verses 5, 6, and 7. These are the words of God. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from His storehouses. The grass withers, the flower fades. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come now to consider your care for your creation, we ask that you would encourage our hearts. We ask that you would strengthen us as we walk in a world that sometimes seems to us like it has no purpose, like there's no one um, running things. Lord, we ask that you would remind us of the truth of your word and and bury these things down deep in our hearts so that as we encounter the afflictions and trials of life, we might find there a fountain of Scripture knowledge from which to draw so that we would walk faithfully with You and magnify Your name, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, This evening we are moving into the fifth chapter of the Confession of Faith, and we're thinking about providence, about God's providence. When I became... When I came into the Presbyterian Church, one of the things I found is that my vocabulary grew a lot. We started talking about things and using words that I had never used before very frequently in my life. I started, we started talking about things like depravity. I had to learn what depravity was, and I knew it pretty well just from my own life. I, I, um, words like decree and talked about God's decree. I'd never, never been in a, in a context, in a church context, where we talked about depravity and talked about God's decrees. And so these things were a challenge for me. And another one that we talked about was God's providence. Everybody talked about providence. Whenever we talked about if we had a good catch, the Lord had good providence. If I played a good game, God's good providence toward us. And we all never talked about luck. Okay, And if you talked about luck, somebody said, no, no, it's not luck. It's providence. And we were always reminded this is God's providence towards you. And so we had to learn pretty quickly if you wanted to be Presbyterian. Um, so you had to learn this, this vocabulary. We didn't talk about coincidences or anything like that. Now, well, one interesting thing is kind of like the word Trinity, you won't find the word providence in the Scriptures. Um, you won't find it. Now, you will find the word provide. You will find the word provide. And so those are related words. Providence and provide. They come from the same Latin term uh, that really just means to see before. And so we've taken this, this word providence and we have applied it to all of these passages of Scripture that talk about how God cares for His creation. And we use the term providence to describe that. Now, in the 20th century theologians, early 1900s, even up to now, modern theologians, they've they've tried to balance the transcendence of God 
and the imminence of God. And sometimes you find yourself erring, making an error on one side of that equation or the other. And so what you'll find is theologians who really want to emphasize the transcendence of God. He is above us. He's he's exalted in the heavens. And He's so far away that we can't know anything about Him for sure. All of our knowledge of God is questionable at best. And so that's that's an erroneous emphasis of the transcendence of God. Because we, we can know him, he's disclosed himself in his word, hasn't he? There's another error of, of the imminence of God. And what the way that men make an error in the imminence of God is they say, he's so close to us that he's very much like us. In fact, just like you are learning the facts of history as you go along, God is too. He doesn't know the future. It's open-ended to him, and he can't know it any better than you can. Now, some men say that comforts them. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. But you see, there are errors on both sides of that. Well, in the Westminster Confession, you see, as we work carefully through the Scriptures, looking at everything the Word has to say, we see both that God is transcendent He has ordained all things, and there are mysteries we can't comprehend, but he's also imminent. And both are true. And we learn of the imminence of God, the nearness of God, when we begin to talk about his providence. When you think about providence, you ought to think God is near. God is near. He's not far away from me. In fact, we take that from Acts chapter 17. God is near us. You don't know, but he's very close. And we're going to talk about just um, how close the Lord is tonight. Um, we move from the decrees of God into creation and providence by this question from the Westminster Larger Catechism. How does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. So we've already talked about the fact that God decrees everything that comes to pass. Before there was a twinkling star in the sky, before he had spoken anything into existence, God had already decreed everything that would come to pass. Every single thing. So what's the difference between decree and the providence of God? Well, I like Thomas Watson, and if you don't have never read him, I encourage you to do that. He puts it this way. He says, I call providence God's ordering things. God's ordering things to distinguish it from his decrees. God's decree ordains things that shall fall out. God's providence orders them. In other words, he said, this is what's going to happen. That's a decree. And the providence is working them all out. I call providence the ordering things after the counsel of God's will. There's a very simple simple definition for you thanks to Thomas Watson. What is providence? The ordering things after the counsel of God's will. Well, here's Westminster Confession, chapter 5, paragraph 1. It says this, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, 
by His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of His own will, to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Now, as we work through the doctrine of providence in chapter 5, we're going to hear some difficult objections. Okay, you're, you're going to think of some, some things. You're going to say, well, what about this? And, and we're going to talk about this because in paragraph 4, we're going to relate the providence of God to sin and evil. We're going to relate it. But we're not going to do that tonight, so I'm going to have to ask you to pump the brakes a minute and just wait a couple of weeks, and we're going to get to that. Tonight, we just want to be thorough in defining what we mean by providence, how the Scriptures define it. So our first step is to discover how the Scriptures speak of God's government over His creation. And we're going to review the work of providence, uh, the extent of providence, the counsel of providence, and the end or the goal of providence. And you know what that is. First of all, the work of God's providence. The confession begins where it must and where we just left off. God created everything. Every single thing that exists has its existence from God. And so the work of providence then is this confession says that He upholds it. He upholds it. He directs it. He disposes it. And He governs it. He upholds it. He directs it. He disposes it. And He governs it. First of all, God upholds all things. Hebrews chapter 1. Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 1. I remember the first time as a new, new Christian um, reading Hebrews chapter 1, it just blew me away um, with reference to thinking of Christ and being an exact representation of the glory of God and His nature. Let's read Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, but we really want to focus on verse 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, that is the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. There's no distinction between the nature of God and the nature of the incarnate Son. And He, here it is, and He, that is Christ, upholds the universe by the word of His power. Now that's the application, isn't it, of Philippians 2 and of Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Well, what's He doing with that authority? He's upholding all things by the word of His power. This is where the confession gets us. God is upholding the universe. Literally, it means he's bearing it. Or he's, you could also translate this, he is carrying all things. Isn't that an amazing picture that God is bearing or carrying the whole universe? And maybe this is where the writer got, he has the whole world in his hands. Um, that's the picture that we have here. <coughs> Christ is upholding it. God created all things by the word of his power, but Remember that when God created, He came to a point that on the seventh day, what did He do? He rested. But God didn't stop working, do you understand? He, he rested from His creative work, but His providential government carried on. He does it by the word of His power. That's what Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 
says. So God upholds all things. God also directs all things. It, it means that God gives purpose to every single thing. It, um, every single thing that has a purpose is given that purpose by God. Proverbs 16, verse 4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble or the day of judgment. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. Next, we learn that God disposes all things. Now, this doesn't mean that he throws it away. The old Latin term for disposes means to arrange something. You, when you're a child, you get one of those uh, little balls with the shapes in it, and you take and you arrange everything according to you know, where it goes, its color or its shape. Um, so God is, this doesn't mean when God disposes of all things according to the confession, he's not throwing it away. He's like, there's no garbage that he's throwing away. What it means is that he is arranging it. Now listen to what Paul says when he's debating with the men in Athens at the Areopagus. Listen to what he says in Acts 17, 26. And this will give you a picture of the arranging power of God. <clears throat> and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Now think about this. This is a powerful phrase. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. You know what that means? That every individual, by the providence of God, it's been determined when you should live and where you should live. Now, what ought that to do for my complaining spirit when I say, man, I wish you, I don't want to live in this place or I wish I'd lived in some other place. Well, God has allotted to you a time in which to live and a place in which to live. Why do I live when, when there's, it seems like there's a threat of World War III? Well, because that's God's providence. He allotted it to you. He allotted it to you. God upholds, He directs, He disposes, and He, he governs all things. Nothing is above or outside of God's government from the comets to everything else. Everything is governed by God. Um, in Genesis 2, we read that God rested from all His work but when we learn about the doctrine of providence, we understand that God rested from creation, but he didn't rest from all of his work, did he? He continued to uphold and to direct and to dispose and govern all of his creation. That never ceased. It has never, ever ceased. Samuel Hopkins notes, therefore, preservation is a constant exertion. Think about this. A constant exertion of the same power which first produced the existence of the creature in causing or giving continual existence. Uh, Hopkins calls this continued creation. God, by His power, every moment is upholding His whole creation. I can't help but think of this when I read of um, the trial of Christ. It, Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, you get this picture of Jesus, and there He is... Um, in this room, the, you know, in Mark 14, they, this is where they've ripped his beard out and they spit on him. And then in Mark 15, they get up early in the morning and they bring him before Pilate. And there, there he is. They bound him and they led him up and they turned him over this picture of sacrifice of a lamb. And they give him to Pilate. Pilate's asking him these questions and he doesn't answer anything. And then they bring out Barabbas and they say, give us Barabbas. And, and then the crowd's crying out, crucify him. And Jesus in all of this, is, you, you think, and you, you think of him and you pity him, 
and you, you think, this is a tragedy, and it is. It's a travesty of justice. But in that moment, Jesus is upholding by the word of his power every single individual in that room. Every one of them. If at any moment, by the word of his power, he stopped sustaining Pilate or the high priests, they stop existing. He's giving life to the body that he's in. Everything in the universe is continually dependent upon God for its continued existence existence and the fulfillment of its purpose. Secondly, we'll think about the extent of providence. This is pretty simple. All creatures, all actions, and all things. All creatures, all actions, and all things. All creatures, all things that have life and they will are directed by God. They are under His providence. Nebuchadnezzar, reflecting on this in Daniel 4, said, I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he says this in verse 34, Daniel 4, 35, I'm sorry. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Men and angels are upheld by God's providence. Men and angels are upheld by God's providence. Even Satan, think about this, even Satan depends upon God for his existence. Every moment. All actions, everything that happens from the signing of a treaty to that day that you dropped a glass on the floor and cut your foot, all of this is directed by God's providence. And all things, even everything that doesn't have a mind, from the trees and the seas that are, the psalmist talks about singing God's praises to plates and potatoes, all of these things are governed by God's providence. Psalm 135, verse 6 Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deep. Acts 17, verses 25 to 26, Nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now think about that. Every, Every agent of Hamas right now receives life, and breath, and everything from God. And the confession reminds us, from the greatest to the least, what a comfort is it to read those words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, when He's talking to people like you and me who are beset by worries, and maybe there's somebody who's listening to him speak and say, boy, I hope he wraps up quickly because i got to go buy groceries for my family and I'm afraid they're going to be out of that certain thing that my wife likes at the supermarket. And, and Jesus thinking about that, or maybe that one who's there and saying, yeah, I haven't worked in days. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. And he knows that man's heart. And he says to him, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will, what? 
fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father? Do you know that not a bird dies? Not a bird dies apart from the will of God. That's caring for your creation. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered, and what that means is each of them has a number. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Last week, I, the van um, brakes were squeaking, and so I decided to change the uh, brake pads on the van, just the front pads, and I was going to change the oil at the same time. So I jacked up the van, and I put the, um, <clears throat> I put the jack stands under, and I brought the girls out, and I said, I need to show you how to change the tire. So I showed them how to get the lug nuts off, and we got the tires off, got the wheels off, and I, I popped the caliper off, and I pulled the brake pad out, and I'm holding it in my hand. I opened the box, and I pulled the other brake pad out, and it's this big, and the one I pulled off was this big. Like, this, this isn't going to work. So I needed to go back to the auto parts store and get the right part. So I'm thinking, I'm not going to put all the wheels back on. I'll just get in my little car and drive up there and make the exchange. So I get into my car and I turn the key and guess what? The battery's dead. <laughs> so I got Caroline to jump me off. I jumped my little Toyota off and I drove down to Wizard Electronics and the car died. So I drifted into the little parking place next to, next to the uh, Wizard Electronics in downtown Summit. And it's, this is, my wife teases me because everything that can go wrong will go wrong when I'm trying to work on something. And it was a 45-minute job, took four hours because I had to buy a new battery, I had to buy, you know, exchange my brake pads and come back, and I finally got everything, everything arranged and, and done. Um, sometimes it seems like the world is working like that, doesn't it? Man, it seems like everything that can go wrong it is going wrong. There's no way that anything is guiding all of this. But then as we, as we discipline our minds and we go back to the Scriptures, we remember there that God is upholding and directing and disposing and governing of everything from the greatest to the least. Every single thing. So that He can promise that not even the gates of hell are going to prevail against the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the counsel of providence. We've looked at the work of providence and we have looked at the extent of providence. Everything is within God's providence. <clears throat> the counsel of providence is the next aspect of this. Um, the confession reminds us that God is doing all of this. He's upholding and directing and disposing and governing all, all, um, all beings, all actions, all things from the greatest to the least, by His most wise and holy providence. By His most wise and holy providence. And this is that balance that we strike between God being all-powerful and good. He's all-powerful and He's good. He can accomplish all His holy will, and He's loving and merciful and gracious. And so as God is, is acting in His providence, we are reminded that He's doing it by wisdom. He's not foolish. And He's doing it in righteousness, Psalm 15, I'm sorry, Proverbs 15, 3 says, the, Lord, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. You think of that scene in Ezekiel where he calls on him to go and 
survey all the people. He's supposed to take a lamp and look in every place and find every person. God's eyes see all men. Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So God has acted in wisdom. He's determined everything with perfect understanding, and He's also acting in holiness. Psalm 145, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all His ways, righteous in all His ways, and kind in all His works. And He has exercised His providence according to His infallible foreknowledge. Just to make a simple application of this, no aspect of God's providence is the product, uh, oh, thank you, of a compromise. The Lord has providentially provided a cup of water for me. Thank you. No aspect of God's providence is the product of a compromise or a negotiation. That's how you can understand that. He is not working with the devil or with any other evil entity and saying, I'll give a little if you'll give a little. If you read Job 1 and 2, you understand that, don't you? Even the devil had to present himself before God and was accountable to God. And he could do nothing that God did not permit. No aspect of God's providence is the product of a compromise or a negotiation. And so we ought not to imagine that Satan is acting and God is responding. This was the, the theologians who say that God is he's very, very imminent. That he's, he's learning as the creation unfolds, as things happen, and he is, he is responding and directing things. This is not the biblical picture. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Everything. Even in Satan's actions, God is accomplishing His purposes. That's the biblical formulation. Finally, the end of providence. The end of providence. God's aim in the government of the world is the accomplishment of His own glory. Now, if you spend any time at all in the Scriptures, you know that God is jealous for His glory. He will not give it to another. In all that comes to pass, God seeks to magnify Himself. And this is for our good. This is the principle upon which all of God's actions rest. Because God magnifies Himself, we trust that all of His actions conform to His attributes of holiness, goodness, wisdom, and righteousness. In other words, God cannot deny Himself in any of His providential work. We praise Him for His providential work. Um, John Flavel, in his work on providence... He has a chapter on the Christian's duty to meditate on 
on providence? Did you know that you and I have a duty to meditate upon God's providence? And let me just give you an illustration. Remember that when, <clears throat> remember that when uh, Joshua um, led the Israelites over the Jordan River, and there's that whole scene, and the, they're taking the Ark of the Covenant, and, and the priests, they step down into the water, and it's at that moment that the river stopped flowing, and God dammed it up at, at the city called Adam, and they walk through, and then there's that moment where God says, now take stones, 12 stones, and set them up as a monument. And the reason that they were to set it up as a monument is because he said, when you come back here and your sons ask you, what is the meaning of this monument? What are you going to do? You're going to remind them of the work of God. You tell them about the work of God. In Psalm chapter 30, let me read you this verse. I believe it's Psalm 30 verse 5. Yeah, Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. No. That's not it. I've forgotten my reference. Um, God indicts the wicked for forgetting the works of God. So by, by these illustrations, we know that it is, it is our duty as Christians to meditate upon God's providence. This is His will for His, his people. Um, just to, to close this out, um, Thomas Watson again says, the providence of God is the Regina Mundi, the queen and governess of the world. It is the eye that sees and the hand that turns all the wheels in the universe. God is not like an artificer that builds a house and then leaves it. But like a pilot, he steers the ship of the whole creation. Thomas Watson. And as we close this evening, I want to show you how God providentially works. I want to show you how he works through his creatures to accomplish his plans and to glorify himself. Would you, would you look with me at this morning's order of worship? Now, you don't know this, um, but I plan worship a year in advance. So last October, I planned all the hymns, all the confessions of faith, all of the calls to worship. I have about 61 passages of Scripture that I think are suitable calls to worship, and I put them in a spreadsheet, and Cassandra and I work, and so every, every week is planned. The only hymn that I don't have planned a year in advance is the closing hymn because I wait to see what the sermon is going to be about and then I choose a hymn. So I want you to understand that I choose the calls to worship. All of this is planned a year in advance. And I want you to look at this with me, please. Look at what our call to worship was this morning, Psalm 30, 4 and 5. That's where I got that from. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name for His anger is but for a moment and His favor is for a lifetime. And then this, con this, this comfort. Weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes with the morning. Now look with me at the confession of faith that we, we read this morning. Westminster Larger Catechism, question 82. What is the communion in glory? That means in heaven, which the members of the invisible church have with Christ. The communion in glory, which the members of the invisible church have with Christ is in this life. Immediately after death, 
and that last perfected at the resurrection and day of judgment. There, there's a comfort for you that, that at the moment of your death, you, you are perfected. And then look at the words of the hymn. And I always try to coordinate our second hymn with our confession of faith. And notice, you don't have to look at it, but this is the second and third stanzas of hymn number 516 that we sung this morning. Jesus, I die to Thee. Whenever death shall come, to die in Thee is life to me in my eternal home in stanza three. Whether to live or die, I know not which is best. To live in Thee is bliss to me. To die is endless rest. I planned that a year ago. Hebrews 1, verse 3. And what's remarkable about this is one of the ways that the Lord gave me comfort even when Jude was diagnosed with cancer is remembering that <clears throat> this passage from Philippians 1, that I had always applied this to myself. To, to die is gain. To die is gain. That, and I applied that to myself. And the Lord taught me to apply that to my son too. These words. And so I chose these elements a year ago. I want you to see. Do you see that? This is God's providence. I didn't know that a year ago I would, we would be singing this, these hymns and, and I had no idea that the context would be that crucial. And yet God did. Now, I'm glad I'm a Presbyterian because I've learned the word providence. And I know that that's what this is. God was directing me so that at this exact moment in the life of our church, while we are in mourning, we would be reminded of these truths that we so desperately need. And that's providence. And that, that is occurring, I want you to understand, that is occurring every moment of every day. Every moment. God is directing all things to His appointed end, which is His own glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you so much that you make your providential work so evident to your people. So clear, so clear. Lord, thank you that you're working in our lives. Thank you that we can have every confidence that even when bombs are falling and men are picketing and unions are <coughs> going on strike and prices are rising, that you're still governing, you're still upholding, you're still directing, you're still disposing all men, all actions, and all things from the greatest to the least. We trust this, O Lord, and praise you for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.